Hello, welcome to the Tallest Tree SEO podcast, where every week we discuss search news and breakdown topics in SEO. I'm Cord Bloomquist, and as always, I'm joined by Anar Johansson. Hello, Anar. Hey, Cord. How are so, you? We took a little break, but uh, feeling refreshed. <laughs> well, we took a maybe, we took a break, but we we published uh, we published an episode um, yeah. last Monday. So as far as folks know, we're we're maintaining a, a basic sure. cadence. We had to take a break for Thanksgiving, and I had a baby, so you know everybody yeah. can deal with it, <laughs> right? I'm a, I'm allowed to okay, have a podcast okay. break every time that I have right, a new child. I <laughs> Put you into the spotlight like that, then. But yeah, we'll we'll try to make a backlog or something. We well, make sure we're we... we're back with a news podcast. Yeah, yeah, we, and we we may record some evergreen episodes, but um, you know, mm-hmm. if if worse comes to worse, I can put out a solo episode or yeah, put out true. a solo episode. You know, people just need their audio every week. That's what we know for sure. Well, let's yeah. get into the the meat and potatoes of uh, of the news this week. So we're back to a a, a straight up news podcast. Let's do it. Um, so Google has had some. Pretty significant announcements. I think we'll we'll cover a few of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so Google has uh, Google has launched a dashboard, and it's sort of crazy that they've never had this. That it's 2022 and we're doing this now. But Google has launched a search status dashboard. So just like you see for lots of other services, where they let you know yeah. if the service is down or the service is delayed. You know, a- Amazon has one of these for their. Um, for their AWS services, right? So you can you can see is this a problem with with me or is this a problem with the service in general? Uh, and I think this yeah. has been in response to lots of funny errors that we've seen over the last month or so, um, or over the last several months. Like there was an error of of Search Console data, for example, not populating into the API. So many people who are um, relying on Google search data for reporting, didn't have data for a week, um, and kind of waiting for Google to just write a blog post about it after the fact is, yeah, is inconvenient. You know, people want to know, hey, do I have to look into my the ape the connection to the API that I made? Did did what I do break, or is Google broken uh, at the mm-hmm. center? Um, and there's also been like funny little search problems. Um, I guess one recently maybe wouldn't even show up on this dashboard, which was uh, the the thing where like Arnold Schwarzenegger and Paul Giamatti or different people in the knowledge graph got wires crossed because somebody was making some rogue Wikipedia edits. Uh, I don't know if you saw the the story about this, but it was Um, kind of hilarious. Like some celebrities just like failed to exist. So if you search for these folks, you would get the wrong person or you would get no result, like no picture or bio card would come up. Anyway, little issues like that. Uh, th- there's now basically a place where we can go to where that's going to be commented on. Um, maybe you would also. Maybe it's also going to be a place where we can capture because they have the core systems up there. Um, they're showing like, yeah, craw- crawling, indexing, and and serving search results are essentially ranking, right? Like those systems are they down or is there a problem mm-hmm. with them so um maybe you're not seeing 
Maybe you're seeing crawl numbers fall for your site. You're concerned about that. You can see if that's a, a that's a core Google issue or if your site's not being crawled because you've made some sort of mistake where the Google crawler can no longer access your site. Um, indexing. So I, I, we did see a lot of that over the past several months where people said that there were like huge delays in in news stories getting shown in Google. And they're saying, why is this? You know, is my site breaking down? So those are probably better examples. Mm. Of stuff that okay, we've seen yeah. recently, you know, where you want to say, well, "What's going on?" Uh, and it's just, I mean, it's yeah. good, it's good to know if it's if it's out of your hands, then you don't have to start rummaging through your code and figuring out what's going, what's might be going wrong. You just know, oh, the Google indexer is somehow broken. Um, yeah, it's hard to remember a time like when pages like this did not exist. I mean, I do remember using something like is X down, like googling that. But yeah, for most services, this exists for a long time. I do see that they, I mean, okay, so this, this just came out like a couple of days ago or something that they haven't used it at all yet. It's empty and there's no history, but it'll be interesting to watch it and see what they do yeah. put in here. Yeah, there's no real real history of, of incidents to show yet. Um, no, it's all clear right now. So if something's wrong, it's you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Um, um, and you can subscribe to it in an RSS feed and things like that. So they, they've been pretty, it's a helpful resource at least. So yeah, now there's a place to turn to. And it's important to note that none of this is um, automated. So this isn't like tied to um, some robot that's maybe measuring a metric on anything like that. It's, th this is like a central place for just reporting where they don't have to write a long thoughtful blog post they don't have to feel compelled mm -hmm. to do the thing that they usually do um just write you know up a, a five paragraph essay on everything so it will be updated mm -hmm. by staff it's not automatic unlike a lot of dashboards that you're used to where it's saying like oh you know um load times are as much as 20 seconds on this service it's not going to be that sort of thing so it's it's more just going to be like brief little descriptions of of incidents and issues so that'll help us from running around uh, doing stuff when we uh, when we don't need to. Now, another update rolled out recently. Um, Google loves rolling out uh, updates in December because uh, why not? It's just peak holiday season. Everyone's livelihood. <laughs> yeah, everyone's livelihoods uh, uh, in the e-commerce world is depending on people buying things from their their websites and services, and uh, and Google decides to roll out updates then. But yeah. this update, unlike last year, I think they wrote on an e-commerce update like the last week of November or the first week of December. So it was really mm -hmm. like, okay, just go ahead and scramble, scramble during this like key time of year uh, to get everything uh, working correctly with uh, with with Google's e-commerce listings. In this case, it was a spam update. So Google mm -hmm. has released this link spam update and... This gives us a chance to clarify something that I think we addressed maybe two or three episodes ago. That the way that yeah. Google deals with link spam now is different from the way that it de dealt with link spam when it rolled out the Panda and Penguin updates. I think it's Penguin that was that that punished um, bad links. So mm -hmm. back when those things happened, um, for a while, Larry and Sergey didn't even believe that link spam was a thing. I read an article recently about how Matt Cuts, uh, you remember Matt Cuts from the days, like back in the early, yeah. 
like the late aughts, the early the early teens, Matt Cutts was um, eventually became head of the Google web or search spam team. Um, but mm-hmm. Matt Cutts invented that team and had to convince Larry and Sergey that page page rank could be spammed. Um, they thought it didn't make sense given the the model. Like how how would you be able to build up enough spam? How would enough spammy things be able to accumulate to accumulate any any sort of page rank to begin with? But spammers showed that it was possible to do this uh, and to corral maybe some legit links from from good sites into. Uh, com- combine them with sort of fake sites and, and link farms uh, into making up spammy links. But back then, Google punished you for those bad links. But that was sort of like a one-time punishment. Um, and the reason is, imagine if Google punished you for spam links now. Then if I wanted to sync my competitor in search, all I would have to do is pay somebody to send a lot of links to their website. Google would see that and they would penalize that website and now and rank them lower than me. Mm-hmm. So in a way, if Google had gone from rewarding spam links because it was unaware of spam and had no way of marking them as spam, um, yeah. it was just, this website has lots of links. If they went from incentivizing spam links to punishing or disincentivizing spam mm-hmm. links, then it would have just moved the spammers from helping out people who paid them to hurting people that people paid them to hurt, right? So instead, Google has said, okay, we 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 put out those penalties at that time where we could identify these are all spam. We agree that they're spam. And and given that we had no disincentive for for spam at that time, the only reason somebody would have spam links is because they paid for them, or that's what Google assumed, right? It just mm-hmm. looks like you paid somebody to do this. They they um they issued these penalties or these manual actions they called them that were attached to accounts. You could work to satisfy the criteria of not having these spam links pointing to you, and you could get that manual action removed and essentially come back. You know, you were exiled, and you could come back into the fold if you made amends for your sins, right? But yeah. Google realized they can only do that once because they didn't want to create that that um that incentive to spam your competitors. So now Google just neutralizes this stuff. So basically huge swaths of the web, entire domains, uh, just get discounted. This domain no longer passes along any sort of page rank authority. Boom, mm-hmm. gone. Um, and so um, for most of our clients, I don't think this stuff really matters because um the think tanks that we work with, the publishers that we work with are very good at getting very legit links to their websites. So they have, yeah, you know, popular news, news sites, uh, newspapers, major television networks, uh, governments, educational institutions, um, just sort of niche websites that might be doing financial reporting or political reporting or whatever it might be linking to them. So th- they don't usually go out in search of these things. Um, but there are some things that you might want to pay attention to when it comes to the spam policy. Like Google's introduced a lot of um, a, a lot of uh, what we call it. Uh, is it tagging? I, I always forget these like little terms of art because we like work with it all the time. And I don't know how to talk about it sometimes. But mm-hmm. there are these different rels. So rel equals 
uh, no follow is something that you can put on a link. So oh, hey, meta attributes, yeah. Meta attributes, attributes yeah. to links, yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So y- you may want to put um, a no follow on a link. Uh, so so that standard has been around for a while, and it just tells Google don't don't follow this link, or I don't want to pass any credit along to this source. So maybe you're doing something like um, you're reporting on some people who you think are really awful, like uh, um, whatever you know. You you write a thing about about hate crimes or hate speech, and you're linking out to some really terrible groups. You could just rel no follow those links, and that way you're you're allowing people to visit those pages and see that content, but you're not passing along any page rank. So it's a way of like citing and making it very clear: this citation is not an endorsement. This citation is just giving people a link to this to this source. Um, but you, you may also want to use special types of meta markup on those links. Like you can put uh, rel equals sponsored. So if you ever link out to something uh, where you maybe have like an affiliate link. Uh, so, so let's say, uh, for example, um, somebody working at a think tank just published a book and you want to use your affiliate link uh, to to their store, so you get you get some credit at Amazon when somebody buys a, a buys the book through clicking on your link. You need to mar- you should mark those things as rel sponsored because you have a financial incentive to link out to that. Uh, and so whether or not you're receiving money, or if it's just something where you um, like you're getting paid to place the link, or payment may come to you as a consequence of somebody clicking that link mm-hmm. like through an affiliate program you want to mark those things and yeah. we've 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 dealt with stuff recently with um uh rel ugc and ugc is user generated content uh yep. so you you can mark up comments right yeah like comments saying uh, comment that have links yeah. in them. Yeah, your post is your post is garbage. You should check out my manifesto here. It's linking to you know their their crazy screed on their own website or uh, whatever some Reddit conspiracy thread about the same issue. And if you mark those things as UGC, you're letting Google know like, oh, these are comments. This is user generated stuff. Uh, it's not anything that the site endorses. Um, mm-hmm. And Google can kind of like make of that what it will. But at least you're letting it know what's from you and your authors and what's from users yeah so yeah don't pay for spam links and try to be a good citizen and mark your mark your own links appropriately to to summarize like there's other interest so they started with penalizing people for uh well paying for spam links right people used to pay to get more links and then yeah or they would even join like reciprocal like link networks where they'd all agree yeah, yeah, link yeah. to each other. I used to do that. Yeah. Uh and then after that they started so after they started penalizing people for it, the people started paying for spam sites to link to their competitors. You said that. No, and I'm then, saying they they or, they they would have had Google said we're now punishing I see, I see. anybody they, who they, does this, right? I understand. They didn't do it. They just neutralized right away. Yeah, they, yeah. yeah. They just said everybody gets a penalty for this because we 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 mm-hmm. can safely assume that up until this point, everybody who's who's been doing it has has mm-hmm. has paid for it directly. But yeah, if they had continued yeah. it, they would have created this perverse incentive to spam your competitors. Okay, I just wanted to clarify. 
Yeah. So there was basically um, a, a one-time big blanket punishment that went out. Bunches of people got these manual actions. Um, Marie Haynes, who we've cited several times, got her start in the uh, SEO world by helping people remove those manual actions from their accounts. Um, mm-hmm. And and often uh, small businesses didn't even realize that they were engaging in this. So no. they paid somebody to do like, oh, I'm an SEO expert. I can, I'm going to do like digital PR, you know, they would kind of pitch themselves this way. And then people just bought mm-hmm. links on these like link networks. And maybe they even thought that yeah. they were doing a good job. Like, oh, I'm, I'm getting links from other sites. And, and some of the, some of the schemes didn't seem like that illegitimate. Like, oh, you're no. a local plumbing site. Other local local plumbing sites will link to you, and maybe that seems like oh, that's good. Maybe that's how the internet works. Um, mm-hmm. But what cause would a you know a plumber in Pittsburgh have to link to a plumber in Boston um, when they don't know each other? They can't. They're not really recommending each other's services. They're not part of the same company. Whatever, right? It it sort of seems legitimate, like plumbers linking to plumbers. It's all plumbing related, but. There's no reason for these sites to be linking to each other other than to try to manipulate page rank, mm-hmm. right? It ser- serves no real purpose. Um, I see. Yep. So so now mm-hmm. it's it's basically like you're you're just burning money by trying to um, manipulate linking in one way or the other, uh, whether it's to benefit yeah. yourself or to try to hurt others. Google is is working all the time to just neutralize these things, and so you can kind of think of it as like. The the lowest part of the web where there's just millions upon millions of links going back and forth to worthless sites, Google's just cutting that stuff out. It's just saying like we're yeah. we're not even we're not even going to pay attention to this huge part of it. And so you can imagine that actually makes things way more efficient for them because when we look at when we look at how many sites are out there and where they stand in these measures created by like Ahrefs or SEMrush or these other SEO companies that measure mm-hmm. domain ranking or site ranking or whatever they might call it, um, which is all just a measure of the value of links coming into your site. At the low end of that scale, like this is a scale of zero to 100, in the zero to five range, there's hundreds of millions of websites. Mm-hmm. But if you just get above that into sites that might maybe have a uh, unique links coming from dozens or maybe a hundred or so domains um you get to a much smaller group like maybe 10 million websites i I might be getting the specific numbers here wrong but it's like it's the the curve is is logarithmic looking um Mm -hmm. so by cutting off the the lowest players in the whole system google may be saving itself I don't know, 80% of the calculation that it would have to do on page rank. Otherwise, yeah. <laughs> like just let's ignore all this stuff at the bottom. If, um, you know, if you can't make a, a, a blog or website or whatever it is where somebody in the top 80% of the web, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not the top 20%, the top 80%, just try to get above mm-hmm. anybody from the lowest rungs uh, linking to you. If you can't do that, essentially you're ignored. So, yeah, and that kind of makes sense as a standard. Like you, you've got to be able to break through to somebody who's established already and has some sort of mm-hmm. credibility. Um, yeah. So it's, it's yeah, really just sense. cutting out the, the lowest of the low. Um, okay. Google launched another guide. That's, that's very helpful. 
So over the last year, we've seen lots of changes to how search results appear. Um, and since the search on conference, which I think was in September, they rolled out even more visual changes, which you can see uh, um, a lot of if you look up um, uh, movies or television shows, or if you Google a specific person, uh, you're going to get this sort of um, set of tiles at the top of the of pictures of that person. One tile may even include if they're like a historical figure, uh, their their birth and death dates or years. Um, other little quotes or factoids about them are up there. Um, but there's all sorts of other visual elements that have entered in uh, to to how how Google is presenting things. And so they've now launched this visual guide. So they're they're calling this um, a sort of anatomy of the search results page. Yeah. Okay. Google's official term for it is the visual elements gallery, and and they break down things like text results versus rich results versus image results that show up in a carousel, video results, and now they're calling um, people also ask and the similar things at the bottom of the bottom of the page. Although now pages continuously scroll, which we'll get to in a minute, um, they're calling those things exploration features. So anything that might prompt you to search for something related. You know, you search for this, but you may be looking for this sort of thing. Um, mm-hmm. And and they also gave gave us now ways to refer to things like um, how they've changed how they've changed sites' identities in search results. So they're now showing things like the favicon of the site and maybe the name of the site, uh, along with the name of the page, the URL, and the description. And they're calling mm-hmm. that now attribution. So trying to show off more brands in the search results rather than just the website itself um because you remember that 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 was plain and that's why so many sites would do things like stick their brand name at the front of a title in the title page yeah yeah you know like cnn bar and then the name of the article Mm -hmm. that's no longer necessary and therefore we can just use the title for the title of the article itself or the title of the page and cnn and cnn's logo are treated separately so that's nice. Yeah. I like it when, when whenever we can get to a place where like a data field is treated as just that data field rather than trying to stuff two or three bits of information into that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and they they even have um, separate pieces for like um, the uh, the byline date uh, is also separate, so you're not having to cram dates into titles or put put dates um, at the front of descriptions either. Um, but yeah, check out Google's visual elements gallery. If you want to see that stuff and you can, I I think the thing for, uh, people in our target audience out there, the think tanks and publishers of the world is that if you have things set in a plugin, like Yoast SEO, for example, to smash together your site name and the title of the page, or if you, if you're front loading descriptions with a date, you can take those things out of there now and use descriptions for descriptions and titles for titles. And Google now is collecting all this data from your page and displaying it in a way where we're now, instead of just three things, title, URL, and description, it's now showing like attribution, uh, site title, page title, page date, description, 
It might put site links below that. So whereas it used to just show three things, it's now showing five, six, or seven things around a result. Um, so those, those things can all be treated separately. Does that make sense? Um, well, yes. One thing I'm wondering about, I mean, it's not here, and maybe we should go too deep into it, but have you noticed... Maybe this is not for every user yet. Uh, they're using infinite scrolling now for the results. Oh yeah, let's get back to that. So I mentioned that briefly. Um, okay, sorry. Yeah, so this is this is interesting. Um, it, it's I think it's announced that it's rolled out everywhere now. Uh, okay. So I think initially, like many of the of the updates that we've seen, it was available to some users at first. So Google tends to yeah. do this, like a sort of slow rollout, where yes, maybe it's, it's A-B testing it at first with a small portion of users. And that seems to be just sort of randomly assigned, because I will mm -hmm. see in SEO forums, people saying, well, I'm seeing this now, or I've seen it for weeks. And others saying, I've never seen anything like this on any, you know, mm -hmm. on, my, on my machine at work or at home, whatever. So it seems to be completely random, and then eventually they they just decide, okay, we're rolling it out to the mass audience. That makes sense. They have they have they're very good at these sort of controlled um, deployments that happen little by little, yeah. and then and then all at once. So uh, tools have already started adapting to this. So now that we have infinite scroll on the desktop, just like we do in uh, mobile search, uh, it doesn't make sense anymore to be talking about page one of results. I think it still probably makes sense to be concerned about being in the top 10 results. Cause I think even with infinite scrolling, it will likely be the case that not being in the top 10 means you're really not going to be getting a lot of traffic to your page. Yeah. Um, but it may very well change the curve that we're used to. And so I wonder yeah. what's going to happen with, uh, it's a little bit easier, you know, to scroll a little bit more than clicking, uh, second page for sure so so the curve that i'm talking about is um when we when we collect information on websites uh, and estimate their traffic like for our our think tank ranking uh that estimated traffic is hrefs looking at how many people search for a term in a month and those are i believe they're scraping that information from google so google may say okay this term um Let's use an example from our from our our own clients. So let's say it's something like immigration reform is searched fifty thousand times a month. Um, you're then you're then looking at what's in the top ten results, and we know that there's a sort of general curve that applies there, as in maybe thirty percent of all traffic goes to the first result, uh, yeah. and then fifteen percent or twenty percent may go to the second result and then 15 and then it's 10 and then it's eight and then it's six and whatever. There's a curve down. And I think the, for the the page one results that adds up to more than 100% because often people are visiting more than one page in the results. Um, but, but there's been a general curve there that we could say is a, a pretty safe way to estimate this stuff out. And so if you apply those percentages over all of the search terms for which you rank in the top 10 results, you can then estimate the traffic and say, okay, mm -hmm. if it's getting 
30% of 50,000 and, uh, you know, 10% of 400 and yada, yada, yada on down the line. Uh, every month it must be getting uh, 2.1 million visits from search, whatever it might be. Um, I, I, my guess is that that curve is just going to kind of elongate, right? That we're not going to see 5% at page at, at result 10. It's going to be 3%. I think we're still going to see it's going to be super beneficial to be in spot one as always. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. But that the, the tail is just going to get longer there where now people will be looking down and it's much easier just to scroll than to click mm-hmm. to another page. Cause it, there's this weird thing in like in every UX manual I've ever read uh, or UX book, it talks about uh, scrolling being like a non-commitment. You're just sort of continuing to do what you're already doing. Versus clicking yeah. is kind of saying, I want to see more. Like I'm taking this relationship deeper. <laughs> like you're making a little micro commitment to the website that, that you're going to look at uh, or the second page of results. So it's it's obvious that Google is doing this for a reason, right? They want to keep people engaged in their product, mm-hmm. continuing to go through results and continuing to be fed ad impressions. Um, yeah, it's so, just interesting it's, it's been paginated for so long. Speaking of time, right? So yeah, yeah, it's it's bucking a twenty-year trend. So yeah, we're we're already seeing like I, I think I see that Ahrefs is now calling the results instead of number eleven through one hundred because they used to give you a report showing, um, you know, show me how many for how many keywords I'm in um, spots one through three how many keywords I'm there for spots four through 10 and how many, how many, um, for how many keywords am I in spots number 11 through 100? Uh, and mm-hmm. now it just says 11 plus. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I don't know how many results they're looking at now or so we'll have to look, look into that more as the dust settles, like how have all the tools decided to draw a line there because obviously they, they're not going to scrape information going into thousands of pages deep nobody's looking at that it was already sort of silly no. that they were telling you that you ranked you know number 89 in the search results for certain things because you just say well it's irrelevant number number 89 mm-hmm. has almost no difference there's no difference between being result number 89 and result number 2000 nobody no. gets to nobody gets past that but my guess is yeah what it means is just going to get Deeper and deeper, result number 30 maybe isn't now a zero traffic result. It's now a very small percentage, but it's something, especially if it's a popular enough word. And and my guess is that's where it's going to make the biggest difference is when it's a super popular keyword. We see lots of pages that are kind of similar in in the top 10 results and people are motivated to scroll farther down because um you know maybe they they put in a, a very generic search term and they're looking for something that's a little bit more specific um and that's that's what i'm guessing is going to take up uh the results farther down the the continuous mm-hmm. scrolling page now yeah so yeah something to pay It'll attention to Well, I, I wanted to review um, larger trends by using this tweet from Lily Ray uh, that uh, she posted. Okay. It might it might be a, a week ago or more now, 
mm-hmm. yes, yeah, uh, exactly a week ago. So on the on uh, December thirteenth, uh, Lily tweeted out, uh, "Coming up for air after a couple months of auditing auditing numerous enterprise sites affected by Google's major updates this year." So here are her findings uh, on the at the twenty twenty two SEO landscape. So she said that. 2017 through 2021 uh, were the YMYL years. That's your money, your life in Google's Google's terminology. And that's when Google was focusing on health sites, financial sites, e-commerce sites. Um, Google is really ramping up um, getting health information correct uh before covid happened and i think they just like doubled and tripled and quadrupled down on that mm-hmm. because they were they were already dealing with this problem of you know someone searching searching for a, a common uh ailment or uh treatments for something and getting um garbage sites that are trying to sell you vitamin supplements essentially uh right like things where someone who's not a medical professional not a dietitian not anything with any expertise at all is saying, gosh, the thing that you ought to do is just like take some apple cider vinegar and some St. John's wort and everything will be fine. Uh, whereas a doctor might say, you need to see a physician if you have this problem. Um, so, so Google was focused on those things for a number of years. Lily thinks that in 2022, they've shifted towards news and publishers. So this may be part of the larger disinformation fight out there yeah um although i think that that term has become so abused it's uh it's now meaningless so, sometimes disinformation just means stuff i don't agree with um mm-hmm. sometimes it means uh conspiracy theory nonsense to me the classic uh the classic definition of disinformation is governments putting out information to obscure the truth so you can think of like mm-hmm. dis, 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 disinformation campaigns in world war ii where they're purposely trying to mislead the other governments as to what their next moves are going to be uh anyway uh that that uh aside aside um google seems to be focusing on news and publishers ought to be um squarely focused on eat uh, expertise, authority, and trust. Although Google just modified that in the last week to be e e a t. So great. Oh, we, yeah. we used to have we used to have right. a word, but now That's we have a eat. yeah. So e e t. Which I think is totally unnecessary because uh, they've, yeah, they've yeah. expanded it to say experience, expertise, authority, and trust. Mm-hmm. Uh. Previously, they had said that expertise included experience, that expertise expertise didn't mean necessarily that you were a, a board-certified f- physician or that, that sort of credentialism, um, that you could have lifetime experience. So probably in medicine, you do have to be a doctor to have experience treating people. That's the only way that you, w- you would have the experience. But in other places, you don't have to be a doctor. PhD engineer, if you're someone who has 30 years as working working as a, a practicing engineer of a certain type, uh, and you're reviewing a product or you're talking about a specific concept or something like this, um, years on the job will do it. I mean, I, I think about my my own 
uh, father restoring classic cars. There's no, you can't get a PhD in classic car restoration. There's no formal education that you can get in some fields. The only thing you have is experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that they put this in place because someone can have very limited experience and still write about something and satisfy Google's criteria, but not be an expert. Um, and, And specifically that's in something like a product review. So simply saying, I use right. I use the new Google Pixel 12, whatever. I don't know what, what uh, number phone they're on now. I don't know either. But, but I use this new thing, uh, and it's meant for consumers. So to review it, I do not have to be – I do not have to have 10 years of experience working with this. I can just have the experience of a week of using it, right? And that's yeah. valid experience for them. So – I think that that's very specifically focused on the product review area because there's so many product review sites that are garbage, uh, that are basically, we, we need to gather 10 affiliate links and, and the, the reviews are nothing more than sort of repeating the features that are in the, in the Amazon listing. So Google has made it clear that they want a review site is worthless unless you had your hands on something and you can provide a unique set of opinions uh, about the product because you you had your hands on it. So I think that's where that experience things comes in. But for our clients, let's go back to classic EAT. Expertise, authority, and trust still matters. If you're a think tank and you don't have expertise, authority, and trust, you're sunk, right? That's that's bare minimum. Um, so what I've seen over the past several months is that uh, several sites have gone up Uh including a few sites that we're not involved with at all um, on a uh, on an SEO side, but we still have access to their search console and analytics data because we worked with them in the past. Uh, and I, I just check on this stuff once a week or so. And I saw yeah. that after the um, September core update rolled out um, and the helpful content update in August rolled out that they benefited from those updates. Uh, things where maybe weekly search traffic has gone up 20 or 30% just on its own. And it may be the case that those sites have done nothing to try to optimize themselves. It's just that other garbage is getting demoted out of the spaces that they occupy. Um, so there, you know, in a zero sum game, if someone else is punished, you, you win, even if you didn't really do anything uh, to improve yourself. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah. Um, speaking of that September update, another thing that that Lily mentioned was that uh, September of 2022 was a mess because all those updates came out at the same time. So helpful content was specifically focused on Google wants to see content that can help users as opposed to content that was written to rank in, in search results. This still seems conceptually messy to me because you would think that that just applies to everything. Um, like, of course, how how is that how is that you unique? You, you always want all of the results to be helpful. Um, but but I, I my guess is that it's it's focused on some areas where it's it's very clear that there's just a lot of um, AI generated or partially AI generated or rewritten stuff that doesn't mm-hmm. really help people with their problems. I mean, the, the, I think the classic results that people are bringing up are things where 
you might search for something like how to change a tire and the page is sort of like gobbledygook. Like there's stuff that's just, it's written over and over again. Um, So there might be clear instructions somewhere in there on how to change the tire on your car, but it also has things like, what is a tire? Why do you change your tire? Who can change a tire? Like there's, it's as it's it's answering multiple questions with sort of similar answers and it's one of these things where you read it and you're like this page makes me feel insane like i can't find the answer to my question and it's just like the same words being murmured about over and over again um it, they're sort of like maddening results to get to i think that's the type of stuff that google's shutting out uh it's trying to detect those things where I don't know. Keywords are, are more frequently used. They're, they're coming up with some metric for being able to push that stuff down. Um, but the point is they rolled out all those things back to back, helpful content, core update, uh, and the um, September uh, product review updates mm-hmm. all came out at once. And so if you're a, a website that has does all of those things, it's really hard to deter- to know what hit you. Um, and how you might how you might recover from those things. But again, for our clients, I think I've only seen I've only seen benefits. I didn't see anybody that we monitor or even anybody on the larger think tank list really suffer after those September updates. They either kind of maintained or went up. Um, right. So, so I think we can we can largely um, not ignore those, but we don't have to be worried about like scrambling to make up for some deficit that they caused. Mm-hmm. Um, Lily also mentioned some product schema changes that affects the e-commerce world. Doesn't necessarily apply to us, but it's it's something no. to to maybe keep in mind going forward that Google seems to be using schema more and more and more, um, and and specifically in this product update, they're no longer requiring that that you create a specific feed to submit your products to appear in the Google product results pages. So if you mm-hmm. search for, for any sort of product from uh, juicer to family SUV uh, to, you know, MacBook case, whatever, you're going to see product results at the top of the, the Google results page. It had been that you had to have things very specifically um in a very specifically formatted type of feed to appear there. And you submitted that. Now, if you simply have the right schema on a page, Google will find your products and feature them. Yeah. So it's less manual stuff. It means there's probably tens of thousands more sites being featured in these results now. Like every Shopify site, every e-commerce site built with a popular website builder should now feature there. But what that what that may um, what that may telegraph to us in the publisher and think tank space is that uh, schema continues to be a really important part of what Google is doing, and so doing the work that we're doing with our clients, like um, making sure that author schema is correct, getting site ownership in place, um, adding in all these things like uh, tags and categories into proper. Um, properly labeled schema and then associating those tags and categories with things like their Wikipedia entries. So if a think tank writes a piece about Iran missile technology, the Ayatollah that we're labeling that this piece is about Iran, that's a country. Here's the Wikipedia entry missiles by missiles. We mean this type of missile, not 
not missile is referred to as something that's launched by a slingshot. We're talking about ballistic mm-hmm. missiles, you know, or maybe even nuclear missiles, whatever we're talking about. And the Ayatollah means this guy, the religious leader of Iran. Yeah. Um, I mean, so, they're getting better at doing that themselves, of course, but they're, they're still appreciate the help. Yeah, they can they can identify those topics via via many yeah. of the other um, systems that they have in place. Mm-hmm. But labeling this- it in schema makes identifying that stuff super cheap. They don't have to do all this computing. Um, mm-hmm. And as we've talked about before, I don't think that they apply that computing to everything that they touch, because if they did, uh, the amount of computing power that they use might bankrupt them. Like it's to, to run yeah. all of the machine learning on every mm-hmm. bit of the web would be prohibitively expensive. So the more that you can just like spoon feed to Google and clearly labeled uh, data, the the better off you are. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. The, the last note that Lily made was that uh, Google discover, and that's the, um, the articles that are recommended to you. If you open up a blank Chrome tab in your, I don't see it on desktop, but I do see it on my my phone or my tablet. Um, Google just shows you kind of some recent news articles on those pages. I often do find myself like opening a new tab and then seeing a, a, an article and reading it. Uh, that discover algorithm that's somehow feeding you recommended stuff very similar to Google News continues to be a major driver of traffic for publishers. Um, but it's frustrating in terms of optimization. Like we still don't have a really clear way of knowing how the heck we get there. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the best way is to have content that voracious readers like to read. Uh, Cause you're, you're somehow getting into some relational engine. It's sort of like getting your book seen on Amazon. Like in order for your yeah. book to be seen on Amazon, people have to have already bought your book so that Amazon knows people who buy this <laughs> book also buy this book. So that's why yeah. you often see these things like new authors will promote their books by having these sales where you can you know, buy the Kindle version for 99 cents over the next week. And they will pay to send out um, emails to massive email lists. They'll do like um, uh Bookbub or free booksy or cheap booksy or whatever there are these different lists so that they can sort of prime that engine so that um for that 99 cents or even for a free kindle download amazon can say okay i see what users are are downloading this book these users have these things in common i now know who to promote this book to going forward yeah i understand right so it's like machine learning has to have some basis. It has to have something to go on and then it can start testing and bring in other yeah. users and gaining more information. I think it's similar with discover. It's like you have to have somehow your stuff has to get uh, read by people who are already reading stuff in discover. So, you know, I think it's maybe one of those things where it's going to benefit people who already have a large amount of traffic and where there's already a lot of data there. Um, but you know, we, we have seen weird little blips, uh, or these huge spikes is what I should say in client data out there where they have, they happen to have a really good piece on what happens to be the really popular story of that day or that week. And they get 30,000 views suddenly from discover. 
You just go like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. That's nice. But how do you optimize for that? I don't know. Like always be writing good quality articles in your space. Um, you know, so I, I, I think it's that that's one of those things where there's, there's no trick to it. It's just continue to produce quality all the time. And, um, Google discover may give you a win sometimes, but it's, it's like winning the lottery. It's really, I, I think it's hard to, um, to push anything there intentionally. Okay. I also thought we would talk about, um, I know we've been going for a while here, but uh, I thought we would wrap on talking about uh, the article that Google put out now several weeks ago uh, in its in in Google Search Central about uh, Google Search ranking systems. So they're not calling these ranking factors, right? There are different ranking systems that they have. Specifically, there are nineteen of them. Uh, and I thought we would go through that just to demonstrate how kind of weird and complex all of this is. And and talk about like the things that we can have any effect on and the things that there's really nothing that we can do as individual site owners to manipulate them. Yeah. Or optimize for them. That's what I should probably say rather than manipulate. We talked about some of these before. Bert. Yeah. Um, so, so the first yeah. one is is BERT. BERT stands for bidirectional encoder representations from transformers. What the hell does that mean? You don't really have to know what what that means from a computer science point of view. But what what BERT does is it understands how combinations of words express different meanings or different intents. Mm-hmm. So you can think of things like. Uh, I, I remember once searching for, can I pick up a prescription for someone else at Walgreens? Now, by itself, or, or in the old school way of of looking at search results, that has almost no search value. Can I pick no. up for someone else at Walgreens? Under old systems, it might say pick up at Walgreens. Yeah, Walgreens has pickup service. It directs you to something like that, right? But when I did yeah. that search recently, it directed me to a Walgreens page about how to pick up a prescription for a fr- for family or friend, something like that. Yeah. But the way that I had typed it in and the way that Walgreens had it written on their page were, were very different. I, I, it may have been phrased sort of. Yeah. Uh, I figured out what you meant. Almost and backwards just... or something. Yes. Yeah. But it, it figured out what I meant. Um, mm-hmm. And so th- that's where the sort of bi-directional and, and, uh, as in Google's looking at the meaning between those words from either direction, if you map out English sentences, especially sometimes a word at the end has a relationship to a word at the beginning because of the way that like subjects, objects, and verbs all interact within a sentence. So Google's gotten better at that. So is that something that we can optimize for? Is there a way to optimize for BERT? No, really BERT is, BERT is something that's saying you no longer have to do optimization of trying to figure out the most common way that someone might ask a question or 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 doing the unhelpful content stuff that's done all over the web where the same question mm-hmm. is rephrased seven different times on the page this is why those results are so frustrating is because you feel like you're crazy because it's like it's just asking the same question in different ways over and over again and providing slightly different answers 
you no longer have to do that stuff. So to me, this BERT ranking factor is great. I can just engage in natural writing and I don't have to think about making seven different versions for machines. Then Google lists crisis information systems. So these are things like uh, Google makes reference to two things, but personal crises. So if somebody types in something about how, you know, what to do when feeling suicidal, Google has basically a system that's going to intervene there and not show them articles that have that phrase in it, but rather direct them to suicide prevention hotlines, something like that. Um, the the other meaning of of crisis in the larger scale, not a personal crisis, but um, a societal, a community crisis, um, it's going to change things locally very quickly if there's a natural disaster like a storm, yeah. there's an earth, earthquake today in California. So it's going to, it's going to just radically change uh, and give weight to things that are different from what it would display typically. So typically mm-hmm. you search earthquake in California, you could get generic results like uh, a Wikipedia page about earthquakes in California. But today, if you're searching that, you're probably going to get uh, numbers for disaster relief centers um, you know, or safety advice or s- something of the sort. Um, so again, no optimization to be done there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, unless you're unless you're um, providing <laughs> that sort of information to people, uh, and I don't think that most yeah. of our most think tanks and publishers and so on are are going to do that. And um, yeah, we can cover we'll, we'll cover some other things later in terms of re- reporting and news, uh, but I don't think that's that's what this is really focused on. So then Google has like little systems like the deduplication system. So. Um, Gary Ish, I think in one of his presentations said something like 60% of the web is duplications. And I thought that was even like a small number because it seems like huge portions of our clients' websites are duplicate pages that need to be canonicalized. Um, But yeah, uh, you, you can think of things like maybe you're searching for a specific news story and there's like an associated press story that's been published in multiple places. So Google's only going to show one of those results. Um, mm-hmm. you can think of other things where, where things are going to be very similar. There's a quote taken from the president and there's almost no context provided by the reporter in all these different, um, results. So Google's just going to find one that it decides is canonical and most worth reading. If you ever using the Google news app, uh, Google has sort of see complete coverage on this issue where then it amalgamates or it, or it puts together all of the all of the news coverage, or I shouldn't say all, dozens of stories often on the same um, on the same topic. Uh, so that it's not yeah. just showing you the same story again and again and again and again in results. Um, there's no point in 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 having it served to you uh, twenty results that are almost exactly the same. And does this apply to apply to uh, com- commodity content or? Or is that different? Uh, like lyrics? Science, yeah, yeah. Stuff like that. Um, yeah, I, I believe it does. Uh, although if you're searching for lyrics to Stairway to Heaven, 
what the hell is it going to show you other than lyrics to stairway to heaven? Um, you know, it's not going to show you one lyrics result page and then, no. you know, uh, textual yeah, analysis about it or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, but, but I think there's, it, it, it does tend to favor, um, certain pages around things like that, that, that have given people high quality results in the past about lyrics. Um, so I think, I think for our clients here, it's, it's just a thing of make sure that you're, you're always doing something very original. You know, if you are quoting something that lots of people are talking about, make sure that you're breaking apart that quote, analyzing, you know, analyzing things as specifically as possible, bringing whatever your unique ad is to that. Um, if you, if you simply think it's important to, to go out and, and grab these sorts of news topics and get them onto your blog as fast as possible. Um, as though you're, as though the onus is on you to report these things. I don't think that's where the competitive advantage is for think tanks. They need to be, they need to be providing context and analysis, um, or else you're, you're not going to, you're not going to be seen in search at least. Um, yeah. So, Moving on, there's 19 of these, so we got to work through them a little a little bit quicker. Uh, Google has this thing called the exact match domain system, and this is where we get the 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 idea that oh, if I want to write about, um, you know, the flat tax, I should buy flattax.com. It doesn't quite work that way. It's more that if somebody types into Google Amazon. Google's going to assume that somebody wants the world's most popular e-commerce company and not a Wikipedia article about the river in South America, right? Because Amazon is a popular brand name. So it's taking into account that people use Google to try to get to specific domains. So similarly, Barnes & Noble is going to bring you to Barnes & Noble, the bookstore, not a book about Barnes & Noble uh, or a popular article written about the the bookstore Barnes and Noble, it's going to feature the brand mm-hmm. itself. So you can think of exact match domain system as almost like uh b- branded search terms. Um so you know similar if someone's searching for Monday, they get Monday.com, the yeah. the um, productivity software rather than an article about Monday. Um but I would say that the exact match domain system works for established brands. So if you just buy something off the shelf, there's no guarantee that just by by virtue of buying a domain that that is maps to a popular keyword that Google's going to start suddenly showing your domain. I, I think that's getting the kind of the causality reverse there. It's more that if you have a very popular brand, Google is going to allow that to jump ahead of other results where it may not, may not make sense otherwise, like Amazon makes sense, right? People aren't searching for that, that area of the world as much as they're searching for the e-commerce company. Um, then Google has this freshness system. So freshness is going to evaluate certain topics where people need to see something immediate. Um, so one of the examples that they provide is a search for earthquake might bring material about preparedness and resources when the earthquake hasn't happened, but if an earthquake just happened, it's going to be news about that earthquake. Um, that kind of overlaps with that um, 
with that crisis system as well. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, similar for, for Avatar, as soon as Avatar is released in theaters, a search for Avatar 2 is going to bring theater times. Yeah. Whereas before that, a search for Avatar 2 is going to bring you to IMDb and review pages. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Let's see. Then we have the, the helpful content system. We've talked about that, like trying to bring people yeah. to real pages that give you real advice about how to solve a problem rather than these sort of weird optimized stating the question eight ways sort of um, pages. Yeah, so annoying. Now here at number seven, just buried in the, you know the nicely ensconced in the middle of the list is link analysis systems and page rank. So it's interesting that they they still call it page rank. In here, they link yeah. to the the original page rank research paper. Um, but this is a thing that we can still really confidently say we can optimize around this. Um, because if we get links from legit websites pointing to us and if we build internal links and content hubs and hub and spoke sort of systems or clusters on our sites we know that that helps um so there we go there's an area where we can we can clearly optimize and we do mm-hmm. that all the time for clients yeah that's the all we do all the time um then they have local news systems so if something is local to you it's going to be favored um, and that's going to be based on everyone's geography. Um, so weather report, when I type it in, it's going to bring up stuff from WMUR or, uh, stations in Boston or stuff from the, uh, Portsmouth Herald or wherever, rather than, uh, the, the weather in Timbuktu, you know, it's going to be related to me. Um, yeah. Then now we have MUM, another one of these artificial intelligence systems capable of both understanding and generating language. So it's not just like BERT, the sort of sentence mapper that figures out what you mean when you type in certain things and what the search results means. And it allows you to match those things up that might otherwise, uh, you might not otherwise find because you didn't phrase things perfectly correctly. Um, but MUM, they say it's not currently being used for general ranking but it's being applied to specific things like COVID-19 vaccine information okay, to improve snippets that we display. The snippets issue may be addressing this thing where they tried to make featured snippets for certain things like, is this mushroom poisonous? And the results were saying yeah. like, oh no, this mushroom is safe to eat. And it was leaving out things like this mushroom is not safe to eat. Uh, so rewriting okay. sentences in ways that leave out crucial things like not. Um, yeah, and I'm guessing that the COVID nineteen stuff is is trying to like leave out criticisms of vaccines or vaccine skeptical points of view. So, mum is somehow used for more like deeper understanding of the meaning of content, so that it's not just Google's detecting that these words are being used on the page, but are are they? Is there sentiment analysis in there? Maybe that's that's seeing that the vaccines being talked about positively or negatively. Mm -hmm. So yeah, this gets into some stuff where you think like, Oh, Google's doing like viewpoint suppression and um, (laughs) you know, yes. uh, about that. Yeah. Uh, Especially after we've seen all this stuff revealed at Twitter about them, like shutting down people who had disagreements about school closure policy. And, you know, the United States had such a wildly different approach to, 
masking in children and keeping schools closed for so long mm-hmm. uh, that the big com- the big tech companies probably are partially culpable for for that policy being adopted because they were actively suppressing people who were saying, "Hey, I believe in science, but this is not a, a rational scientific result or um, reaction to all of this. These policies don't match up with the science." Um, so anyway, mom may be used for Google suppressing your viewpoint if they uh, disagree with you, but it is something that seems to be understanding more of like the sentiment and meaning of the page rather than just, um, rather than just an, an analyzing that, uh, the page is about the topic. It's like, what yeah. is it saying about that topic? Exactly. Um, Okay, then they they list a bunch of things where it's it's not really clear what they do. Like they give a one sentence explanation. They do link to entire pages that break these things down, but they say like neural matching is an AI system that Google uses to understand representation representations of concepts and queries in pages to match them together. Mm-hmm. So this seems to be something similar to to mum, but we can understand how if you're not talking about literal objects, if you're not talking about persons, uh, places, things, you're talking about concepts, you know, Google's got to match up now free speech or social justice or some other concept, you know, how does it do that? Um, neural matching seems to be one way that it's, it's getting people better results when they're typing in more abstract things. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's see. Now we have original content systems. So this is Google uh, looking at. Uh, this seems to be related mm. to to duplication, but it's more about figuring out. Okay, if lots and lots of people are talking about something, are yeah, are there many? We see this in the news all the time. Interesting. Someone yeah. publishes a story, and then hundreds of people publish their reactions to that story. So Google yeah. would would rather show the person who's doing the original reporting rather than the people who are citing and reacting to that original reporting. Um, so I know I just said you need to, you can cite and react, but bring something original to the table rather than just, I mean, you yeah. see this all the time in the news that there's, there's so many words spilled and they're adding absolutely nothing to the story. <laughs> they're just yeah, like yeah, yeah. working so hard at, um, at trying to produce more words when they have nothing to add. Um, let's see, they still have this removal based emotion system. So um, that would be like uh, they have legal removals. So uh, a copyright infringement request. Um, maybe there's, there's other court ordered removals. Uh, let's say like counterfeit goods, they say uh, defamation is one reason that they might remove something. But if a court says like this shouldn't be included in search results, there's a whole whole bodies of law in different places about that. Google yeah. takes that into account so they can kind of flag those things. They also have policies against like personal information. Uh, and you can even submit requests yourself to say, I don't, I don't want these things you know, I am Anar Johansson, and I don't want this this mm-hmm. information about me to be displayed in search results. You can place those requests. Yeah, you can think of these systems as like they're all interplaying. And I've even heard people talk about this as like an auction system. So it's almost like wait, there's there's waiting given to the systems, and the systems are competing with one another. So mm-hmm. 
so Google may say like, okay, this is probably a, a local search result. So we're going to sell the first three results to the local system. And then the freshness system can come in and give us something recent on this. That's maybe from a more national point of view. Let's say it's mm -hmm. like a hurricane or something. Okay. We're going to, you're in Florida, you search for hurricane, you're going to get local results. Then you might get a national result that's talking about the hurricane, but it's very up to the minute about, let's say the federal government's reaction to all of this. Um, mm -hmm. And then it's, there's maybe some um, absolute override authority given to these like removal based systems. If something just can't be shown in search, it's not going to be shown. So it's yeah. still in Google's index and database, but it, it has to be there to be marked as never show this. Uh, yeah. Then we've got things that we've talked about in the past, like page experience system. So that core web vital stuff, getting your, your website, um, uh, getting your website, uh, running fast, being um, qu quick to receive user input and stable. All that stuff goes into the page experience system. Then it has this system called passage ranking. And that's so it can rank passages within a page rather than just the pages themselves. So let's say there's a section of a page, which the page may otherwise be seen as uh, being about um, Intel's new processors but there's an aside inside that page about Intel's new graphics cards. And that little aside is very good and provides mm -hmm. some great information. Uh, Google can still highlight that passage so that that web page doesn't only come up for its main topic. Um, so it's, right. it's, it's now yeah, ranking like individual chunks within pages. Yeah. Some paragraph. The, the products review system is something that I don't spend a lot of time thinking about because we don't work with people who are selling products typically, no. but that's, that's a whole system that, uh, that Google spends a ton of time on because of course there's lots of incentive to create garbage around that and to try to get search traffic into your affiliate linking yeah. review site and make money off of affiliate links. So everybody wants to be the wire cutter and make a bunch of money by directing people to, you know, BNH photo or amazon.com links. Um, so, you know, look into that if you're, if you're interested in that, but that's like a whole different world of SEO that we're just like not very involved in. Um, finally rounding out like the last few of these rank brain is another AI system that Google uses to figure out how concepts are related. So how that's different from, Neural AI, neural matching. I'm not sure. Um, no, but it's again, these things are things where I just think, great. So we can just write, people can just write. And if they're really clear about what they're writing about, mm -hmm. and they're, you know, providing context within those articles, which is good for users, just keep focusing on users and like the neural matching, rank brain should all take care of these things for you. It should mean that you don't have to write goofy things that are focus on, on doing well in search. You can just write naturally. Uh, and but you Google still should... need to think about keywords. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, I think that the advice that we give to people is pretty splits the difference pretty reasonably as in yeah. we say, you know, give things literal titles. So rather than coming up with some like cheeky oblique reference as your title, um, like, 
how I learned to stop worrying and and love the Ayatollah, uh, like a, a a play on the title of Doctor, the long title of Doctor Strangelove. Just name the piece Iranian Missile Program, or at least have that somewhere in the title or the subtitle of the page of the of the piece. Um, so I think being like a little bit more literally minded and knowing that that's not only serving machines, but it's serving people because people are going to be searching for Iranian missile program analysis. And if they get something yeah. back that people tend to click on search results that match what their search query was. Yeah. Um, so if you, if you ask a question and the person kind of repeats the question back to you when answering and then provides you a good answer, you tend to react to that. Um, so that's both like a, a search engine and a human psychology thing that I think you want to focus on. Yeah. Um, but, but I think what, what rank brain and neural matching and these other things are telling us is that I don't have to worry about having every different combination and iteration or way of saying the same thing. I don't have to do that repeatedly rewrite the same question multiple times and answer it inside the piece and do all these other things that are maddening and bad for users where I'm trying to manipulate search. That mm -hmm. stuff we can just, we can just forget about, you know, be a little bit more literal, um, put the topic up front in your, in your titles and subtitles. Um, but otherwise, you know, write naturally. Yeah. Um, let's see. Then there's reliable information systems. I thought this was interesting. So this is like, Helps to service more authoritative pages and demote low quality content. Helps helps to elevate quality journalism. Uh, in cases where reliable where reliable information may be lacking, our systems automatically display content advisories about rapidly changing topics, or when our systems don't have a high confidence in the overall quality of the results available for the search. Um, so again, the the reliable information systems, I think. Our clients are going to benefit tremendously from the fact that they are cited by lots of lots of reliable news sources. At least most of our clients are. Some of the, the little startups or state-based groups might suffer from not having as many links there. But mm -hmm. you know, continuing to engage with other mainstream actors, uh, be cited by legit news sources, uh, interact with government and education sources where they're going to be linking to you. So being part of a mainstream conversation is going to benefit you here uh, yeah. just as it should just benefits you in general. Um, yeah. Then there's a, an, another couple of things that we, we really can't help. So one is called the site diversity system. So this is the 18th of our 19th, 19 groups yeah. uh, or 19 systems here. And site diversity is Google just it doesn't want to have um, more than two web pages from the same site in the top results. Uh, so even though if you search for something like 401k or uh, retirement account options, Investopedia may have three or four really, really good, uh, highly linked to great explanations of what your retirement account options are. Google's only going to show yeah. two results there. Right. Um, so, you know, folks have to keep that in mind. Um, so, so one sense. way, you, one way you may think about this is, uh, if you do have something, 
if you have seven or eight pages on the same topic, you may want to create uh, pages that we often tell people to create. That's something in between an index. That's just a big list of all the stuff that you have on this topic and those individual topic pages. So think tanks tend to do this as papers on individual topics. You may want to create an overview page that talks about the lists out all of those things and maybe provides a short description of each one of those papers. So you you might think of something like um, if there's five different areas that you think states should be focused on when it comes to getting their fiscal house in order, and it's something like uh, um, school funding, uh, pension systems, uh, highway funding, um, uh, emergency services, I don't know. You have four papers on those four things, but nothing uniting them together. You may want to make a budget overview page where you describe describe those problems briefly. You know, you dedicate three, four, five paragraphs to each and link out to those long papers that break down those topics. And often those things are missing. And so the site diversity system may be such where it doesn't want to, it's not going to display all four of your papers that are on that, that show that you've covered the whole topic. So you may need to have one one page there that gives a broad overview of it so that you're listed. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. I think, so. I think that I think that makes sense as a way to to yeah. to overcome this and other issues. Mm-hmm. Um it, it always makes sense to kind of contextualize and bring together these disparate pieces under under one roof and create that sort of mm. hub and spoke system. So often when we're addressing like one of these systems like page rank where we want to have things linked together and links flow from the constituent parts back to a hub and then from the hub back out to the constituent parts like all that linking together um, confers more page rank to those things. It also tells Google like what's related to each other. Mm-hmm. It should help with these other things like, uh, like the site diversity system, these other systems. So often when we're solving one problem, we're solving another, especially when we're just making like the user experience make more sense. We're contextualizing these, these separate pieces of information. You know, we're contextualizing them and saying these seven things all relate to one another. You know, we're solving, we're optimizing for many of these systems at the same time. And the yeah. last thing on the list is the spam detection system, which we talked about in uh, in the, the stories above, like how Google has rolled out the new spam system. So we've ever, already covered that system. Don't engage in spam, label your links correctly. You should be good to go and not be touched by that. So, all right, that ended up being a long, kind of a longish episode. Yeah, quite long. <laughs> yeah, but now you know. Visit visit that. Read about it if you're interested in it. Uh, you know, Google says, "Hey, we've only got these 19 competing systems." Um, several yeah, I think of them it's super seem interesting. Yeah, so, so it makes sense. I, I think maybe homework for us is to do more reading about these like these AI systems. But again, I I think the takeaway from our point of view is. I'd like to know how they work and see if there is some some guideline that we can be following or something else that we can yeah. really do for clients. But my my hunch is that most of those systems are things where it's like there's not a way to optimize for that. Essentially, what oh. it's doing is allowing you to stop optimizing and stop doing weird yeah. stuff to please the search engine. 
but but that is one area that stands out is like, yeah, I, I I'm still not really clear about rank brain. I mean, um, uh, neural you know, matching. Just thinking about like, if you tried these AI image automate uh, image generators, and I, I've tried chat GPT for writing stories. Like the more detail you give it, the better the result is. So I don't know, maybe there's a way in this context to optimize the AI. Like, but I don't know. It's a different context here. But I'm saying yeah. this definitely requires a specific type of input for best results. Even though you can give it anything, it will give you something out. Uh, it will output something, but yeah. Yeah, but I, I think the things that we're... I think that the the general framework that we follow, but you know, creating content hubs, labeling things really yeah. clearly with schema data, all that stuff helps us to sort of to give Google the most. Like what you're saying is, give the most context possible. Yeah. So the be the better and clearer the instructions are that the AI receives, the better results you're going to get out of it. Um, mm -hmm. If you give some vague prompt. You know, it could go in many different directions, and many of those directions may not be what you want. Yeah. So I, I think that we tend to encourage that. But what I think is really hard to do is to read the, the descriptions of those AI systems and then come up with like a writing guide that anybody at anything think is going to yeah. follow. Because, <laughs> yeah, you know, totally. I doubt it's going to happen. But uh, yeah, we should try to look into a little bit more detail here. But yeah, yeah, probably not. Yeah, I, I want to at least verify that my theory that the continual contextualizing and labeling and those things that we're doing that seems like something that can be mm -hmm. done at the uh, at the level of like site editor or uh, webmaster, for lack of a better word. Um, yeah, that those are still the the best ways to to be thinking about how to yeah how to best help those AI systems forward. But I. I'm going to maintain that we're correct on that until I'm proven otherwise. Um, all right. So that's it. That's all the news that's fit to speak about on a Zoom call. Um, so we'll see you next week on the Tallest Tree SEO podcast. See you Bye, Inar. Bye. <laughs>